Good morning and welcome. For those of you that uh, I haven't met, my name is Brian Merrill and I am uh, very thankful to be here today, thankful to be a part of Bayou City. I am an elder here at, at, in the church and, um, and so we've, my wife and I, Krista, is sitting over here to my right. Uh, we were part of the original core team that helped plant the church back in Spring Branch and then obviously helped establish here in Cyprus. And so, um, so, so very excited to, to be here today. And when Curtis asked me to preach a, a few weeks ago, um, I, you know, he asked me to preach and wasn't, wasn't really clear on, on what he wanted. And so I texted him and said, hey, what would you like uh, for me to cover? And he said, uh, let's look, look at Luke 11. And I think that he picked that verse and picked today uh, because it's Father's Day and not because I'm necessarily a great father. Uh, it's because I have a lot of opportunity to be a father. I'm a, I'm a dad of seven. And uh, the picture is going to be on screen. It's a little pixelated. Uh, if you would go ahead and put that picture up. There we go. And uh, that's all of them. And so one of them, two of them are sitting over here to my right, your left. If you'd wave Dominique and Caleb, uh, they're, gonna, they're not going to like that. My wife, Krista, is the global women's pastor as well. And so we do have seven children. And we have four adopted, three biological. We have an amazing, crazy story, one that uh, we're not going to share necessarily today. But if you ever get a chance, uh, we'd love to share that. Or if you ever have any questions. Incredible. My mom and dad are here. We're so very blessed. I'm so very blessed. Um, I've got an amazing dad. Uh, Incredible. And uh, when Curtis asked for me to speak, anything that would come out that would be good would be uh, because of of him, to be completely honest. And so um, I have a legacy of strong uh, strong men in in my family. Uh, My dad, married to my mom uh, for many, many years. My granddad, W.T., married to, to Nanny for uh, 50 plus years. And so that's my story. And um, I'm very proud of it, to be completely honest with you, and one that I celebrate. But it may not be your story. And so uh, when Curtis asked for me to talk today, I wanted um, there to be equal kind of representation for me to be able to speak or someone to be able to speak into, as y'all entered in, maybe Father's Day is um, is is. Wonderful, and, uh, and maybe it's not. So before we move into it, I want to do something. Uh, if you would, if you're a father or grandfather, if you would, please stand and be honored at this time. If you would, give them a round of applause as they stand. Now stay standing. Don't, don't sit down. One of the things that... Um, so we've got... I would also challenge some of you sitting... Some of you men sitting, uh, we have many father figures, and you may not have considered yourself a father because you're not a biological father or um, a grandfather, but I'm a principal, and I've been a principal for a few years and had kids graduate. They unfortunately get me 24 hours a day. My children do. They're at the same high school as me. Uh, I do have students and teachers in the audience as well, so uh, I'm excited to, to get to see them in this setting. And so I've learned that when you take on that role uh, of being a teacher, so many of you serve, and we ask you to serve our children, right? So you, you work with them, you work with our youth, and uh, if you spend any time with them, you'll know very quickly that they will identify you as a father. So I would ask if any of you are out there that don't have children yet, you are feeling that father figure role in so many ways. And if you're not, but you're being maybe convicted because you live next to someone or you've this, uh, the Lord is moving, I'd ask for you to stand as well. And so just to consider that, we've had uh, some very young, uh, young men step up and know that they are being an example to some of our, our uh, younger kids and they're taking on that role. And very quickly, uh, I've learned that they will actually call you dad. It's a little, little uh, 
different the first time it happens, uh, but nonetheless it happens, and then you wear that with a badge of honor that they consider you to be their dad. And, and so uh, I'm blessed as well to have that, and I'm sure you are as well. So uh, in Bayou City style, if someone is standing near you, if you would reach out a hand to them and, uh, and kind of pray, we're going we're gonna to commission them if you would. Uh, I got this from Miss Natalie McGeehee. Uh, we've lovingly called her the mother of the church. She's an incredible lady. Uh, and so she wrote this for us, and it was shared uh, with, uh, with some people yesterday. And so we wanna, I want to speak this over you. So if you're standing next to somebody, reach out your hand. I promise it'll be short. God is compassionate, gracious, and fruitful, overflowing in love, merciful, great, and mighty. The one who goes with me, the one who fights for me, the God of the living, not the dead, not ashamed to be my God, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Christ I am, God's child and Christ's friend, free of condemnation, God's temple, righteous and holy, blessed with every spiritual blessing, a new creature, God's work of art, redeemed and forgiven, a member of the family and God, I'm covered in his love. Amen, amen. If you would give him a round of applause and take a seat. Thank you. Now, when, when, like I said, when Curtis asked for me to preach, he gave me, I asked him what it was, didn't say anything, gave me Luke 11, and so I happened to be in Dallas, and if you know Curtis at all, that, that's pretty fitting, I love him, and now it's on tape, so he'll probably listen to it, uh, nonetheless. And so as I started to pray on my way back from Dallas, um, just spending about 30 minutes outside of Dallas, kind of traveling, asking what the Lord wanted to say, and a story came across my mind uh, when I was sitting in the car that I, I wanted to share from, from my childhood, and it's, it goes like this. I got, sent from, I got sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye. Fighting was against the rules, and it didn't matter why. When Dad got home, I told that story just like I rehearsed, then stood there on my trembling knees, and I waited for the worst. And then he said, Anybody figure out what he said? My dad's figuring out that this isn't really part of my childhood. Um, but when I turned on the car after, be, after praying, uh, this song came on. And so if you'd play this song. Anybody know the George Strait song? Yeah. So believe it or not, it really did come on. He said, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. To love without end, amen. It's a love without end, amen. So for some of you, that really is uh, maybe the earthly example. And for some of you, that may not be your earthly example. But what we're going to explore today and what we're going to open up Scripture to is to look at our Heavenly Father and that love without end. And if you know the singer, songwriter, preacher, George Strait, you know that as the chorus goes, uh, it plays out that he has a dream of being in heaven. And this is the anthem that comes back to him. And if you don't know it, it's probably because uh, you, um, I don't know, you were deprived. You need to know George Strait. Uh, and so we made a rule uh, when, we, when we go to Garner State Park that any George Strait song that comes on under the tree, you have to dance to. So that is our way of teaching our children our, our, our George Strait heritage. So um, no doubt, listen to it. It's a great song and uh, you will enjoy it. But there's definitely some truth in that, that love without end. Amen. Now... Overflow happened this weekend. And for those of you that aren't familiar, maybe it's your first time to, yeah, give it a round of applause. 
Overflow is a ministry for our mothers that are parenting alone. And it happens on Father's Day because there's a wound that happens on Father's Day sometimes that unfortunately is there, that there's uh, an impoverishment of either time or an absence of a father or, um, you know, something that's there. And and when Curtis asked for me to talk, my examples are incredible. Um, I'm so very blessed and, but I cannot speak into, and it would be, I would be trivializing that moment if I tried to step into what it's like to parent alone. I know what it's like to have adoptive children. I know what it's like to have biological children. I know what it's like to parent seven children. I know what it's like to do all of those things. But I do, know, do not know what it's like to, to parent alone. And so that's what I asked Curtis. I said, hey, um, we've got this amazing young mother that has come in to speak at Overflow that has done a tremendous job. And I got the blessing of sitting in the back and listening to one of her talks. And for the ladies in the room that were here, you know what an amazing Overflow weekend was. And our Heavenly Father made, made way for us to have this property, right? And if you don't know the story of it, we're not going to get into it. But the story of how we got this property is provision and God's answering of prayer. And, uh, and so, and then the congregation just stepped foot and really, um, you know, our flag, one of our flagship ministry is overflow. And it was just such a, an amazing weekend. And so Miss um, Lisa Harper is going to join me on stage. And if you would give her a round of applause as she joins us. <clears throat> she is incredible. She is incredible. Uh, one of the funniest ladies I've ever met and, um, and works her way through theology brilliantly. And so uh, we're going to be so very blessed. We have a video that we'd like to show you just a little bit about her story. In April 2012, I jumped off a proverbial cliff and into the greatest adventure and joy of my life. I began the process of adopting my little girl, Melissa Price Harper. I love you. Her first mama, Marie, died as a result of undiagnosed AIDS when Missy was just a baby, unwittingly infecting her with HIV, which was exacerbated by tuberculosis, severe malnutrition, and a host of other ailments. Doctors in Port-au-Prince didn't give Missy much of a chance, but then again, they didn't know my baby girl has the heart of a warrior. Our adoption process took two long years, but I finally got to bring her home to Tennessee on April 14, 2014, just a few days before Easter, which seemed especially fitting. Little girl, and her name was Missy, and she was oh so wee. And her mama came to Haiti and said, that's my baby. And brought her home to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every single day since has been better than the one before. By the grace of God and great medical care, Missy's health is now excellent. Her HIV is completely undetectable and her lungs have no scars from the tuberculosis she suffered from as a toddler. She even has killer abs, which is really the only dead giveaway. She's not my biological child. (laughs) We're surrounded by an incredible community of friends and family. Missy has more doting aunts and uncles than just about any kid I know. Plus, we've had the joy of getting to go back to the village she's from in Haiti and share the love of Christ with her extended family members. Psalm 68 declares that God is a father to the fatherless, a husband to the husbandless, and he places the lonely in families. That's definitely our story, and I plan on praising him over it for the rest of my life. Yeah, baby. That's a lot of kisses. <laughs> I did kiss you a lot, didn't I? Yes, and then, Mommy. Did it, did it bug you? A little bit. Mommy. It bugged you that I kissed you? 
Yes. No way, no way. I'm coming. Kiss monster is coming. I'm coming after you. Hey, do you know why I kiss you? Why? Why do you think? Because I lo you love me. How much do you think I love you? More than the whole world. Yep, about that much. Yes, even wider, that's even wider. Much. No way! That's much. No way! That's much. No way! That's much. More! <laughs> Amazing story, and so in uh, the women's ministry tradition, there's always a question that in, if you if you're not involved in the women's ministry, you need to be involved. Number one, uh, she's amazing. I, I live with her every day, and I know she's the real deal. So I outpunted my coverage on her. So definitely get involved uh, with women's ministry. But there's a question I think that uh, I've not heard the question asked. I get to ask it for the first time. But uh, beach or mountains is normally the question that's asked first. Beach, if I have a cover up. Beach, if you have a cover. Okay. All right. Well, if you will, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in Overflow. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of meeting Krista, Brian's wife, and then Amanda, um, your, excuse me, first lady, a couple of years ago and just thought, I love them because they're so not your stereotypical um, pastor's wives. You know, they weren't stiff, didn't have Rip Vera Bradley Bible covers or crop pants. So it's like, score, I like these two. <laughs> And then they told me about Overflow, and I thought, boy, as an older single um, mama, I'm 53, and never been married. My husband's lost and won't stop to ask for directions, and I bought <laughs> Missy home the year I turned 50. I just thought, this, this not only sounds like something I'd be passionate about, but it sounds like something I need. So I begged them to let me be involved, and so I got to come last year, and and I didn't do very well, so they said they'd give me another shot, come back and try that's again not this the case. year. So that's that's not went. the case at all. They, she had them in stitches. She's so funny. You're raising a daughter on your own, and so talk about what you do to teach her about God the Father. Um, yeah, when Brian first asked me that question, I said that was the perfect question because I'm planning on writing a book called Who's Your Daddy? Because um, <laughs> when I first started Missy in school, she came home very quickly, and she knows her whole story. She knows all about her HIV. If you ask her if she has HIV, she'll say, yes, but I'm undetectable. And she does not <laughs> dance like a Baptist. Um, she's quite, quite gifted at dancing. But, um, <laughs> but from the very beginning, I've been really honest with her about her story because I don't want my kid to carry shame like I did. So I want her to know the way God has, has healed her and has redeemed her story. And, um, but we do talk about the fact that we don't have a daddy with skin on. Um, my dad left when I was five years old. Um, there was some molestation from men who came and went from our family after my parents divorced, and then my mother remarried a couple of years later. And my stepfather was not a believer and was um, he was a pretty tough man. And so Missy and I both, she never knew. Her biological daddy had a very short-lived relationship with her first mama. He's actually the one who gave her mama AIDS, and so he died not long after so she didn't know her daddy was skin on. And so that question became um, a pretty common question when she started school. She'd come home and go, Mama, who's my daddy? Because they would have talked about that in school or maybe a child would have asked her. And I'd say, baby, remember who your dad is. Your dad is daddy God. 
So we don't have a daddy with skin on. I would actually love a baby daddy. So if y'all know somebody between <laughs> 50 and death who is employed and doesn't live with his mother, that would be great. 1-800-588-PLEASE-CALL-LISA-FOR-A-DATE. But, um, but we talk about it a lot, and we talk about the fact that as cool as it would be if God gave us a dad with skin on, um, that the truth is he is a perfect father. He's a father of the fatherless and a husband of the husbandless. So I'm constantly teaching Missy that, talking to Missy about that. She prays for a daddy with skin on, and I encourage her to keep praying that. If that's God's will, then that will happen because no good thing does he withhold from him as walk as upright. But I also am reminding myself as I'm telling her, honey, if that never happens for us, God is enough. We have a perfect father who will never leave us or forsake us and again sometimes I feel like he's he's teaching me more than he's even teaching Missy she doesn't rock out of that truth quite as often as I do so what role does the church play in your life and in Missy's life uh, y'all's role is critical um, as a matter of fact I want to be mama I'm old and a few of you you are one of them a few of you young men who are not biological daddies yet you are fathers in the house Um, one of the men who has had the most impact on our little family is not yet a biological dad. He's married to a friend of mine. They're much younger than me. And the first Valentine's Day I had Missy home from Haiti, he called and said, Lisa, do you mind if Kylie and I, his wife, come over to y'all's house before we go to dinner? They were all dressed up, going to dinner for Valentine's Day. And I didn't know why he wanted to come over, but I said, sure, that's fine. And they came over, and he had this beautiful bouquet of roses. And he asked Missy outside, and in the side yard, he got down on his knees in a suit. And he explained what it was to love somebody, that that was basically what Valentine's Day was all about. And he said, honey, Aunt Kylie and I love you like a daughter, and we are committed to you. And I want you to know from your first Valentine today, I want to ask you if you'll be mine. And so this 30-year-old man who does not yet have children of his own, he just has stepped into the role of uncle in Missy's life. I think sometimes in church, um, single moms, uh, sometimes I think people are almost afraid of us. Um, I sometimes feel like men are afraid that I'll take ungodly liberties And uh, I want to assure you, the only thing I want to take is a nap most days um, because I'm worn slap out. And so I would just encourage you to move toward the single mamas in your midst. Most of us are pretty desperate for godly men and their wives. I cannot tell you how many times somebody has come up to me and said, "Um, would y'all like to go to dinner with us after church? And it just, sometimes I can't even respond. I'm so deeply encouraged that they recognize that seven-year-old may need to be around a man who loves his kids well so that she loves men instead of grows up and becomes a a feminist or a man-hater. I want her to be a a strong girl, a teacher. She can do almost anything. I want her to have fingernails and a sword. Um, but I also know there's a gap in her life where she doesn't have a daddy with skin on. And so those of you who love Jesus and are in the community of faith, to me, y'all are, y'all are critical in my life. You stand in the gap for me. Amen. So what we're studying today, the scripture that we're going to open up is Luke 11. And so as you turn there, 
Um, today is not only about fathers, it's going to be a little bit about prayer. I don't think you can put and talk about prayer without adequately and appropriately addressing father. And as I shared for me, that's, um, it's, it's very tangible. Uh, and we needed Lisa to help define what that looks like for some more people in the room. So as you turn to Luke 11, I'd ask that you look up from your Bible, and we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer, if you will. Uh, if you'll do that, we'll do that together corporately, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the beginning of, of Luke 11, is the Lord's Prayer. And it's fitting that we go from that. We all know it, and I'm going to reference this a couple times, but that we pick up in verse 5, and so the scripture is going to come on the screen, and I'm going to read it to you. Luke uh, eleven five through 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? For if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts for your ch- to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Luke 5, 11 through 13. And so as, as I opened God's Word, there were four things that really jumped off the page with me. And I shared I'm a teacher, so the first, first sermon, uh, I needed more time. I needed 15 minutes, just like first period of class. The second one, I kind of was the, the groove, and we'll probably finish a little early today, so you'll get to lunch and be able to celebrate. But that's kind of the lesson cycle. But if you would, please put the four things up there. These are the four points. And uh, any good teacher knows that I can talk. That doesn't mean that anyone really is learning anything. And so uh, if you'll forgive me and indulge me, just for a second, what I'd like for you to do, we read that scripture, you read it, I spoke it over you. If you would, turn to your neighbor in whichever one of those four, either the father, the fervency, the frequency, or the faith, which one of those jumped off the page and maybe resonated with you. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to a minute to talk to your neighbor. If you don't know your neighbor, then introduce yourself to them. And, but uh, if you don't talk, I will only do worse things like extend time and then bring some of you up on stage. So uh, you must talk to the people next to you. You did. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Now, uh, that's not that serves twofold. Number one, I get to look at my notes and make sure that I'm on track. And then number two, uh, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit moves. You open Scripture. You can. You can. Ha- obviously, you have quiet times or need a quiet time, and and can definitely um, glean some incredible uh, things from this. One of the four, if not more. And so, as we opened it. I'm going to work through them. She did an incredible job of talking about Father, and I think that 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 lens must be put through this because, unfortunately, the Scripture has been used inappropriately in a prosperity way, right? 
You'll hear it that ask and you'll receive, knock and, and you'll get things. And it, it really starts to very quickly turn to tangible items, items that can rust, not what, not what we're talking about in Scripture here. And so there's a fervency to the prayer. And with fervency, you'll look, the words that are used are ask, seek, and knock. And anytime Scripture uses and kind of backs it up with the same thing or says, hey, pay attention or look or remember or anything like that, they're drawing it out. So don't miss it. And there's a fervency and a frequency to this words uh, in particular with the, the um, asking and the seeking and the knocking. And for any of you that have children, you know that they are the most practical examples of this lived out, right? If they have something, they will definitely ask for it. And if they don't get it, they will ratchet it up a notch in fervency and, um, and ask more often. And they will seek you out if they can't find you. And then if they really can't find you and they think you're behind a closed door, they will beat on that door, including the bathroom, until you come out, regardless of what's happening. So uh, definitely... You can see that. Now, please don't miss this. I'm annoyed by that, right? Right? Let's be completely honest. Bathroom, like the only private moment you get, seven kids, and I work with 2,000 students. It's like the one place that you go that everyone's supposed to leave you alone, right? So laugh and then get this. It's what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to, to ask him, to seek him, and then to knock on the door. I get annoyed when my children do that. He is asking. He has established the Lord's prayer. And then immediately after that, he leads into this. He wants this type of relationship. So no matter how you came in, no matter whether you have the most amazing father in the world or whether or not you walk in with a gigantic wound, I'm here to tell you today that you have a heavenly father. Now, if I had said that before, that would have been, I think, uh, really easy for me to say. But I think you would echo that as well, would you not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. This is I told told Brian this is one of my absolutely favorite parables because of the way it redeems Father. If you had a good one, it affirms that. If you didn't have one or had one that left you wounded, it shows you what perfect fatherhood is. Yeah, and when you look at the the, the scripture specifically, you see the man coming to the door, right? And he's knocking on the door. And I think it's so ironic that when he gets to the door, he knocks on it. And what does he say is behind the door? It's a, a friend, if you remember, which is ironic because what's the friend's initial reaction? He doesn't get up, but he does get up. Why? Because he keeps beating. He's persistent. Just told you it's not. And God is not the friend behind the door. That's not God. What, what God is, is even more than that. He's saying, if that person behind the door was willing to get up out of bed with his children in bed and give you bread, then think about how much more your heavenly father is waiting on you. All we have to do is turn to first Kings and look at Elijah, right? The old Testament, when he's sitting with um, the prophets of Baal, when the prophets of Baal are, are praying to their God and they're trying to elicit fire from heaven And I love that story. And for those of you that know me, probably can figure out why. It's a little bit of trash talking, and I love that. And it's like God gives him grace and mercy to talk a little bit of trash in those moments. And so he's just standing there, right? And these prophets are praying, and he's like, hey, I don't don't think they hear you. You need to be louder. So they get louder. And then he says, I think you need to be a little more fervent. And so they start cutting themselves in fervency and trying to elicit a a reaction from their God. Then he says, uh, I think he went to the bathroom. I think he went potty. And uh, turn to 1 Kings. It's the story. And and he doesn't respond. The minute that Elijah calls down, it's there. It's there. 
Our God is waiting. And, and please understand this. It's not to give you what you're praying for, although that happens. That's not what a good father does. It's not. Those would be easy. And if I asked you really simply like, uh, if I gave you 30 minutes and God would answer whatever prayer you wanted, go, you would probably ask for some really great things initially. And then very quickly, if I pause just a second, it would turn pretty, self, pretty self-indulgent. It really would. So as we look at this, and as we think about it, and I told you that um, we were going to this scripture. You got incredibly excited about it. And would yeah. you talk a little bit about why you got so excited? Yeah, I told Brian, I've heard this parable since the time I was teeny. I've been in church since I was in utero. My mom was all in Baptist. She didn't dance or <laughs> chew tobacco. And, um, and so I'd heard this story for as long as I can remember. I'd seen it flannel graphed because that's what we used to do. Um, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago when I looked at a different angle that this story just slayed me. Because if you study the symbolism, the parabolic symbolism, is that those of us who would be represented in the story who know Jesus, most of you who are here today, we actually are not the friend outside the door. That's not representative of us. That's actually representative of an unbeliever. Uh, theologians will tell you, those of us who put our hope in Jesus, we're represented by the children who are inside with the dad. And based on Jewish culture, it says literally in Luke 11, they're in bed with him because in first century Jewish culture, there was just one bedroom in a Jewish family. So they don't have to beat the door down like sometimes Brian's kids will to get his attention. Their father is right next to them. If they need a drink of water, all they have to do is whisper because of his accessibility. And to me, that's the real beauty of the parable is it's not so much about how persistent we are, but it's about how perfectly accessible God is. He's right there. There's some days as a single mama that I'm so worn, slap out, I don't feel like I can ask God what I need with any eloquence. But to rest in the assurance that he is right there, he is that accessible to me, that, that slays me. And when you think about the most complicated thing that we could ask for, you know, it, it wouldn't be a car, it wouldn't be material objects, it wouldn't be significance, it wouldn't be those things, although that's what I shared that my prayers would go to very quickly. He's already done the most complicated thing, right? That's right. He's already done that. That's right. He's already established a way for us to be laying next to him. For us to have an open dialogue and a conversation and a relationship with the creator of the universe. He has already established that. He has already made that way. So on Father's Day, it's not only about fathers, it's about prayer. It's about those two things. And as I thought about it, it brought me to really probably one of my favorite scriptures uh, in Revelations. It's going to be Revelations 8. If you'll turn there, we'll go. Thank you. Revelations 8. Now, we started with the Lord's Prayer on purpose, not only because that's the order in which it goes, but also because in Revelation, there's a part of of the Lord's Prayer, a different part that I want to highlight very quickly, if I can. So if you would, our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, I had missed, I've read it, and Revelation is that book that you kind of avoid at times because you don't really understand it, and there's so much going on. And The most incredible thing about it is that I don't have to understand it, I really don't, but I can tell you here that it's going to happen. So even though I don't understand it and my heavenly father uh, protects me enough and, and sees fit that to give me what I can handle, he not only does that in my prayer, but also just in my walk with him. And so as I enter into Revelations, I'm telling you that even if I don't understand everything that is here, I'm telling you unequivocally that what we're about to read is going to happen. It's going to happen. And for me, it was like, it was just this amazing revelation that my prayers matter. They matter because of the four things that are there, but my heavenly Father is looking through this lens of my fervent, my frequent, my faith-filled prayers. And he is putting it through the lens because it's not about answered prayers, right? It's not about getting what I want. It's about my heavenly Father knowing me well enough to give me what I can handle. And sometimes that's tough. And sometimes that's difficult. And sometimes, to be quite honest with you, I'm, I'm completely frustrated with that because I want it to happen much quicker than it is. So it's not about getting the answer now, although he says we can go. And I read scripture and I believe it. So healing takes place. Sin is cast out. I have to because I know that my eternity resides with him. That 25 women accepted or renewed their relationship with Jesus at Overflow yesterday. 25. You talk about an investment worth its pay. 25. That's an incredible investment. Their trajectory was changed. Their, their children's trajectory was changed. Everything is changed. And so when we look at Revelations 9, our prayers matter for here. No doubt. No doubt. Through something supernatural that I never will understand, things, people are healed and lives are changed and we all have that experience and that's the wonderful thing about the gospel that allows us to, to walk into anything and talk about as our personal relationship and regardless what the world can say they can't take that away they can't dismiss it and there's such truth to it so if you don't know the Lord those four things apply to you and if you know the Lord those four things apply to you they apply to me not only do they apply now for the world that we're walking in, but thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You're about to read, and I'm about to. I just thank God that every time I enter into prayer, this is a gift to me, and I hope that you leave with it as a gift to you. So let's turn to uh, verse 8, or chapter 8. When he, the Lamb, broke open the seventh seal, there was silence for about half an hour in heaven. I don't understand all the revelations, but a seal is broken. And heaven is silent for half an hour, for 30 minutes. It's just a breath. What's about to come? I'm sure there's such joy. When I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and another angel came and stood over the altar. He had a golden censer, and he was given very much incense, fragrant spices and gums which exhaled perfume and burn that he might mingle it with the prayers of all the people of God, the saints, upon the golden altar before the throne. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That God wants to collect our prayers? He doesn't need them. 
the simple utterance of a word, he created the world. He created from nothing something. He created a way for us to have communion with him, for a, a way for us to get to heaven, sinful people. And he collects our prayers. Are you kidding me? If that doesn't wreck you, if that doesn't wreck when you're driving down to the God of this universe, that he is our father. And regardless of how we come into this, into this room, Our Father is wanting a relationship with you. So if you don't know Him, I pray God do His work and that He saves you and you come down in a second. If He knows you and you need to recommit, come down. If you need healing, come down. One of the most special times of Bayou City is when we conclude and when we pray. When we lead with faith and we ask frequently and fervently and to our Father our prayers and our requests because He is not annoyed. He's collecting them. He's collecting them. He's going to pour them out. And when the kingdom comes, it's going to be mixed with incense and it's going to be mixed with our prayers. My prayers, your prayers, with his saints. I will never enter prayer lightly again. How can you? So I would invite our prayer ministry team to come down.